episode 36 with Miranda Card. In today's episode, Miranda and I chat through her diagnosis of Bichette's disease and how that made her start to realize some new limitations she now had to cope with in her life. We also touch on how Miranda has since had to pivot her thinking on what she is striving for not only academically, but professionally. Miranda is a master's student at Columbia University and also works as a personal trainer and online coach under her company, Shaped by Science. If you love the episode and would like to support the podcast, I would ask for you to please head over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review and tell a friend about the podcast. If you're here from Instagram, what's up? If you can, share a screenshot of the podcast on your story and be sure to tag me at Austin Current. Enjoy the conversation. Well, first things first, tell me about Everest. I loved that story that you posted on your Instagram. And yeah, just kind of tell me about what that story is all about and what kind of Mount Everest means at this point. Sure. So um, I used to dream about climbing Mount Everest. And when I say I dreamed about it, I like planned to do it. <laughs> um, I read a book. I was a literature major, first of all. So um, that's another story. But I love this book by Salman Rushdie, where he has a character who is a famous mountain climber. And her whole thing is climbing Mount Everest solo. So I got into my head that I too was going to climb Mount Everest. Um, so I had my first huge big climb planned um, a few years ago, a couple years ago. Um, I was going to climb Mount Rainier. Um, and it was kind of the first step on the way to Everest. Um, and it was a very expensive trip and I was really excited for it. I trained hard for it. And I went to see my doctor a few weeks before I have chronic illness. Um, I have a disease called Bichette's disease, which affects syst- all my systems, basically, um, most of my system- systems. But um, my doctor basically told me that I, for various reasons, it would be very risky for me to make this climb and that it was, I would likely have issues that might be life-threatening and that would also, as a result, threaten the rest of my fellow climbers. Um, So I think I made the responsible decision in canceling the trip um, and just taking the financial blow and um, climbing is not an inexpensive sport. (laughs) So it's not like you can make up these trips easily. Um, But I think I did the right thing. And I talk about the story because it's, I think, a common phenomenon for those of us with severe chronic illness. Um, We have to switch gears. We have to um, let go of dreams. And I think that's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, We are constantly telling each other to stick with it and push through failure and push through setbacks and do everything you need to do to get what you want. Um, But that's just not possible you know, it's not possible to everyone for a variety of reasons. Like I said, for me, it's chronic illness. But um, I think that that's something to talk about more because I don't live an unhappy life. And I have other goals that have come in to take its place. Um, Namely, powerlifting has been my passion for the last few years. Um, And so I think it's really more about what you fill your, your days with each and every day than the overall goal. So that's the story. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. And so I, I guess I wanted to ask too, I was kind of wondering this uh, just before we hopped on, I was, I was just, you know, thinking of different things to, you know, talk about and, 
in that. And so I wanted to ask, is there this sense of, or there is this, but ask this in the right way. Obviously there's limitations with the chronic illness. There's limitations within things you can, you can, that are possible things that, you know, you can do now, as you just mentioned, which is amazing. Uh, Cause I was just thinking of this question before we hopped on. What is that? There's a fine line obviously between things that you dreamed of doing things that you wanted to do. You've always wanted to do um, and things that are now in a sense, unreachable. You can't, necessarily attain them uh kind of where does that where's that line drawn i guess for you and how have you kind of pivoted in in a sense um so that's a really great question um that's something that i struggle with every day i think it's the hardest question um i work with a chronic illness therapist to work on just that because you want to find the balance where you're living a full life where you know, you're able to maintain your self-efficacy and um, your perseverance without, you know, pushing yourself to the point where you just get sick and can't, can't function anymore. So I think that for me, <laughs> I hate to bring everything back to training, but uh, like an auto-regulatory approach <laughs> to life is important. I, I say that quite often, actually, on the podcast, kind of periodizing oh, life. Really? Yeah, because I... I, I remember saying this back in, it would have been 2018. I was kind of having a casual conversation with a, a colleague at the time. And I kind of casually brought up like just the concept of periodizing your life and going through kind of life deloads. And, um, you know, obviously you have these, whether, whatever camp, whatever camp you're in, in terms of training terminology, either have you, you know, your accumulation or intensification phases with your deloads or whatever you kind of, uh, whatever terminology you use with training. And so, and he was kind of taken back by the the analogy. And I was like, how have you never, I, I don't quite understand <laughs> how you don't piece that together. Um, just coming from my own mind of like, this is training has so many parallels with life. And I think that's a beautiful thing about training in and of itself, but sorry to interrupt, but yeah. So no, you're not auto-regulating your life, periodizing your life. And I think that's super important for someone that is just in general healthy, but even someone with a chronic illness. So sorry, continue. No, that's the best. I couldn't have put it better. I think that's like basically my approach to it. I, you know, try to keep myself, you know, at an RP eight. <laughs> um, and cause you know, I'm in school, I work and you know, that's kind of what's required of me, but I try to tackle tasks that don't push me to failure. You know, I, um, I stay in New York to be near my doctors. I don't try you know, I'm not applying to PhD programs all over the world because, you know, I always have to keep that in mind. Um, I do everything I can to maintain my health. I don't compromise on sleep. Um, so I think that I, I've found the goal, like the type of ambition I can handle and still maintain my health. Um, and the goals that are just out of reach, um, for, my body and, you know, that could shift over time. I think that's kind of what you were saying. I think periodization is a great way of saying that. Um, but being open to a change of pace and, um, to listening to my body, I think is important. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to asking you about what motivated the Everest trip. So obviously you, you went to go climb Mount Rainier. Um, yeah. one, where is that? 
Um, that is in Washington State. Okay, I think I, I that's I thought that's where it was. Um, and so, what was the main motivation behind wanting to make the trip? Like, as a or what? How old were you? One. So this was, I guess, two or three years ago. I was, I guess, twenty one or twenty two um, at the time. And still undergrad. Yes, I was either. I might have been my last year of undergrad then. Um, I've been in New York for a long time, so it's hard for me to keep track of, you know, what phase of life is what, <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, so I really, I reached out to someone like, a uh, Everest expedition company. I worked at a climbing gym at the time. So I knew people in this world. Um, and I was like, this is my goal. What steps do I have to take to get there. I, you know, I went to school in Asheville, North Carolina, so I've been a hiker and, you know, that's um, where my wife and I got our eloped actually. No way. Yeah. I love Asheville. It's yeah. a beautiful place to elope. Yeah. Yeah. We picked a, it was a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we basically drove downtown, uh, and picked a really cool gravel parking lot with a nice backdrop. And that's the story is written there. Then we ate tacos. And so that was that. What taco place? Um, it was more of a gourmet taco, I would say. I don't exactly know what the place was called. I don't know. Do you okay. remember? No, she has her headphones on. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know what the place was called, but yeah, it's just a beautiful scene. Uh, we stayed in a tiny house, our reception, basically, uh, it was just the two of us. We got drinks at a local bar and just went back to the house and, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. So continue. No, that's a great story. I'm happy to hear it. Um, yeah, so I that was just kind of like a good initial training climb. Um, so that's how I selected it. Awesome. Yeah. So, do you think there was any is was there anything deeper other than I just want to do this, or was there a sense of how long? I guess have you known you've had your chronic illness? I guess at that point you would have learned, right? So up once you went to the the doctor at that point, that's when you figured out. I have this chronic illness. Yeah, I was in diagnostics when I, ha- you know, got that message. But I've um, I've had chronic illness my whole life. I just never really. Um, I, it's really hard to diagnose. Autoimmune diseases kind of are. Um, but I think that for me, like Everest was kind of like a big f you to my illness. You know, like it was. If I could do that, then I could do anything. I, you know, could do anything a healthy person could do. Um, so just like a really different state of mind, I think, than I am in now. Um, and, you know, I think that it was a really good learning experience for me. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of tied to the diagnostics as well, because I think it was a few, just a couple months after that when I got my Bichette's diagnosis. Gotcha. So you have a a therapist you go to and kind of talk about things and keep things in perspective and keep them realistic uh, as, as far as your, what you're reaching for, what you're striving for. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I recommend that I took me a while to get there, but <laughs> if you have, you know, issues like mine, I think finding a specialist to help with the, I call them the mental symptoms of chronic illness, I think is really useful. Well, shit. I think without, we all have mental symptoms of life in general. So yeah, I think keeping yourself reined in, uh, without getting lost into everything. And so, you know, as you transition, I want to touch on school a bit and I want to talk about, you know, your transition into business and stuff like that. Uh, so the main audience of this podcast are 
coaches or people wanting to get into coaching and stuff like that. So, um, a mix of, you know, men and women. So I, I think you're an excellent person to kind of talk about this transition from one goal into, into the next and making kind of just making do, but making the best of the situation. And I kind of posted that on my story, uh, and kind of using the sense of just what is as motivation of just what's going to be like, and I think that's the most simple way to put it, but kind of where was this transition for you in terms of, I guess, when did you realize that you needed to transition those goals uh, from academia originally into more of the coaching sector? Yeah. So I've been training clients in person for a long time. Um, I did some, you know, very casual run coaching, um, when I was an undergrad and that transitioned me to being a trainer. Um, so I was doing that and I am in school for exercise science, but I plan to go into academia. Um, and so I went to the doctor, I guess it was, you know, a little less than a year ago now. Um, and I asked him like, you know, I haven't had X, Y, and Z symptoms yet. These were some of the worst symptoms that Bichette's patients have. Um, Does that mean I'm in the clear? And he was like, no, you will likely get worse. This could be debilitating. Um, It very well could affect your longevity and your mobility um, in the near future. (laughs) And is that just from the chronic pain caused by the, you know, the the damage to your joints and everything else? Or how would that... Um, So there's a few things that could happen. Yes, my chronic pain could get worse and um, it could just be too much to deal with. Um, But also I, the neurological symptoms of Bichette's are things like stroke um, and other, uh, you know, blood vessel stuff. And it, you know, can just get really complicated. And then finally, I have a lot of GI symptoms, um, which can cause scarring in your digestive tract. And that can impact um, how much you're really able to move around and do. And, um, so there's a lot of different ways it can go. It's kind of a crazy disease. Um, but you know, and so over the last few years, my disease has been getting worse. So that's like kind of where he was coming from. He was like, listen, things are getting worse. Um, so you definitely can't expect them not to. Um, (laughs) so I was like, I immediately, like, I, I just am someone who like shifts gears, you know, I, I'm like an action taker, I think by nature. So I was like, okay, if academia, if I can't be in a nine to five job and I can't be dependable as a nine to five employee, then I need to find another way now to make money that that I like. Um, And so I basically started right then and there to try to transition my in-person coaching, which is already becoming an issue for me because those hours are brutal, even if you're a healthy person. I mean, you get up at like, four in the morning and you see clients from six to 10 and then you, I go to school and then I come back and I work from 6 PM to 9 PM or whatever. So it's just crazy. Um, it was already becoming unsustainable. So I just decided to start transitioning my in-person training to online coaching and to make that a, you know, lifelong career goal. So that's how I made that transition. Awesome. So I guess why academia originally? Uh, I'm curious. That's been the plan for a long time. I love school. (laughs) Um, I learned to love school. I hated school. And then (laughs) I think 
I was so bad originally at school. I hated it. And then I realized when I got to university, like, oh, shit, I could actually be good at this. And I guess becoming when you become a little better at it, it, it becomes more enjoyable, which I learned. So I actually do like school now. I love to learn. Um, but originally, I hated it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's like a self-efficacy spiral, I think, and it can go in either direction. Um, but yeah, so I always loved school. I was actually had just started a master's in literature when I started having more issues. Was this um, at Columbia already? So it was kind of an easy transition? No, or? I was at the, another school in New York, the new okay. school. Um, it's kind of a like a very progressive history slash literature slash sociology degree. So um, I was starting a master's in that and I basically switched gears when I started having all this chronic pain and exercise was the only thing that helped. Um, and where were we going with this? What was the original question? Why academia originally? Why academia. And my mother is a clinical psychologist. So it's kind of, oh, in wow. my blood. okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> she, so I, I don't know. I mean, it was just always my plan. You get these ideas in your head, you know, and it's my world. Like that's where all my friends are. That's where I get my self-esteem, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw talking to Miguel, uh, t- you know, obviously, you know, he's similar in that, in that sense. Like he gets a lot of sense of fulfillment and self-worth out of his contributions, not only to science, but just those around him at school. And I think you're, you, I mean, you get that firsthand with, you know, how he's kind of entered your life, I think. So definitely, um, yeah, just a good dude in general, but yeah. So I, I was just wondering why academia in the first place. And I guess making that transition from literature into more of the exercise science realm, where have you seen benefit of the crossover there? Because I love to, one, I'm, I'm reading the book by uh, David Epstein currently uh, called Range. And I think it's a great book because I'm someone that has seen benefit from, and again, like kind of the, the origin of the podcast was life beyond fitness. And I think one reason I'm able to make contributions in the way I do, I, I believe, and the, the origins of the podcast was kind of brought about by this life I've lived beyond fitness. Yeah. Which has that. been so intense and also the life that I've lived within fitness has been so intense that, but because of the life I've lived beyond it, I've been able to come back in, in these times and kind of bring in different out like point of views, which I think is, is critical to piecing things together and empathizing with whether it's empathizing or sympathizing with clients or um, just being more relatable as a person in general and talking about subjects from a little bit different scope, um, less narrow scope and, uh, yeah, just less, less focus. So I guess I I think it's super important to realize that you don't always have to, to be successful within something. And why I like the book range is because this is something I've always kind of thought about, but he basically brings, he's a science writer. Uh, and so he brings the science to basically back up that of which important that you don't, you know, obviously being very narrow focused gets success within a certain, certain extent, but to be more of a generalist and come from different places and being able to relate and draw inspiration or thought from other parts of your life is super important at contributing to your field. So 
that long setup <laughs> to, the, to this question, where is that parallel for you? And where have you found a crossover of like, I'm super grateful I come from a literature background now into exercise science? Um, so, you know, what? I'm going to be like totally honest and tell you that I'm not sure there's much applicability to from literature <laughs> to exercise science. Sure, um, none that you found so far, at least. Right, totally. But um, academia in general, I think, you know, it's a very similar process of setting realistic goals and chasing each one individually, taking baby steps, appreciating the baby steps towards a larger goal or macro cycle or, <laughs> you know, whatever lens you want to see this through. I think that's really relevant. Um, and I think, you know, we talk about self-esteem and a lot of different areas of life and there's, you know, academic self-esteem and there's physical self-esteem and, um, there's actually not that much crossover from one to the next for adults, but I think the fuller life you can give yourself, the more of a global improvement in self-esteem and well-being that you'll have. Yeah. I think, I think your impacts or your perception of impacts. And I have talked about this recently a, a little bit more on my podcast and then others, um, it's kind of come up on other podcasts as well. So I kind of want to all tie it together, but having a sense of fulfillment and purpose and impact within yourself and that those around you just comes from your immediate impact. I find of those around you and your immediate situation. So being able to contribute to those within your immediate circles and those of which in academia or within your coaching business or within your client base or whatever it is, allows you to kind of create that ripple effect and allows you to have this greater impact and reach without you having to absolutely kill yourself because of our, in the sense of like having role models who obviously we look up to the, we have access intimate, almost intimate access to celebrities and influencers and people that we just look up to, to the nth degree. And we can see their impact on a, on a global scale, or at least a, uh, a national scale of your country. And so it's, it's pretty crazy to think. And I think we sent, we tend to measure ourselves up to that. And so we're like this person, you know, if X, then, then Y. And so then you being the Y variable there, you're having to try and set yourself up or set your life up in a way where if I want to have this impact, I need to do these things or emulate these actions. And I, I think for myself, I, I had that, I kind of got lost in that for a few years. And then since in the last couple of years or within the last 12 months uh, specifically, I've been able to kind of come back to a place where, look, if I can just make more of an impact to those around me, like immediately around me, um, whether it's talking to you on this podcast right now, and then just you and I being present in this conversation. And I, you know, yeah. I, then later on it gets, it gets uh, produced and then posted on, you know, all these different platforms just by us having this conversation, it does in fact have a ripple. Like people are going to listen and people are going to engage with it and they're going to learn something from this or take away at least one thing. And I think if we can keep ourselves reined in to that realization, I think it's, it can go a long way in feeling fulfilled or feeling important. Totally. It's interesting you say that. Cause when I kind of had my, I mean, I think chronic illness 
just inspires like existential crises. <laughs> um, and so when I was making my, my initial kind of transition from literature to, to exercise science, um, you know, I don't really have like a guiding religion or, um, you know, a compass built in. And so it was really difficult for me to know what to listen to. And I just decided one day that the question I was going to ask myself was like, how can I best help people? And because I think that, you know, trying to find your passion can sometimes misguide you because, you know, what do you, people are looking at it, like looking for their soulmate, you know, which we know that we can have several soulmates and, you know, we can have, make a lot of different relationships works. And I think it's the truth with careers too. So I think like if you can just make, you know, these little impacts on other people and helping people a more central guiding force, it gives your life some direction. I think it's really useful. Yeah. And as someone like, uh, like yourself, I don't have much of a, a religious compass, if you will, either. And so you can, with that though, I, I think that's where religion can be super helpful because you at least have this sort of North star you're always shooting for. You have guiding principles, you have community, you have community, you have support within that network. And without it, you can be kind of this floating sense of self of like, okay, what? And so, um, one, I think being able to draw inspiration sort of a la carte from these different, uh, from these different spaces either you, you believe in the overall premise, it doesn't matter as much as you're just drawing inspiration from different places and trying to piece together some, some sense of North star for yourself. And within that, I think getting lost again, like too big or getting lost in, and I I was listening to your, your episode, um, with Miguel and Zach on the, the flexible dieting lifestyle podcast and talking about, getting lost in marketing. And I think that's a big part of this whole sense of passions and whys. And because it sells a fuck ton of books, it it sells, it fuels these, these entire sectors of the corporate world. And I'll like, you can see the bookshelf, like there's probably 20 books uh, in that shelf that I bought and contributed to this world of, of passions and whys and all of that. Um, and a lot of times it's just to understand kind of what is being said, but two, it's like, I did have spent a a good chunk of my life trying to wrap my head around a sense of why or passion or why the fuck am I doing what I'm doing and why, why isn't it something else? And maybe it transitions into something else. And I, I have a few things kind of a few irons in the fire currently that it could transition within the same genre of things, but Yes. It's different, right? So I think I, I agree with you in the sense of don't get too lost in your whys or don't get too lost in your passions because as long as you have that sense of contribution, I think you have a lot and you have 90% of it. Yes, so. I totally agree. I know I'm, this is maybe a little bit of a jump. Is it okay to ask you a question? Is that something okay on podcasts? This is for sure, whatever you want to do. So okay. yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. Um, so I know you did a post on, or you at least talked about um, extrinsic motivation at some point. Um, I was just curious. I wanted to hear your take on that and and where you think extrinsic motivation can be helpful. That's a good question. Um, yeah. And I, I, 
So I'm a thinker uh, foundationally. So I, I think one, I'm going to give a, a sure shot to this answer on the, on the podcast, but I know after the podcast is over, I'm going to think about this for the next few days. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I think as far as extrinsic motivation goes, I think it can be very valuable in getting, getting feedback from someone outside of yourself. Yeah. And I think you have to appropriately filter out or filter those that you're getting extrinsic motivation from, because I think you can get really lost in gauging the wrong metric. So I, totally. the, the, the podcast, is this an okay that, motive? Yeah. And so it's like I had, on my recent, the podcast that launched today, I talk about the sense of best self, like hashtag best self. And I talk about that. And then I talk about, I got asked on a podcast, like, how do you give advice on people reaching their true potential? And so I, I kind of gave an answer of potential is a moving target. That's not something you're ever going to reach because as you're learning, as you're developing as a person, and as you're constantly reacting to feedback around you, you're constantly adapting to new situations and you're constantly growing as, as yourself. And so that potential in and of itself has to also grow. Right. That's a, that's, that's a variable that is ever evolving and ever changing. And to get lost into thinking that potential in and of itself is a coordinate that you're going to eventually get to, I think is the wrong metric to begin with. And I, so to think about extrinsic motivation in the sense, I, I think it has a lot to do one with how you're gauging or how your the success lies in those metrics that you're tracking or gauging yeah. of that success itself. So what, I mean, what are your thoughts there in terms of extrinsic motivation and kind of playing off what, what I'm saying there? Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, the reason it made me think of this question is just because one thing that I've had to really get used to since I've kind of became come desperate to make money online rather than these ways I'm used to um, is like posting pictures of myself basically half naked with right. my abs out, you know, and that really, it really does work. Like people pay you because they want a certain oh, body type. Yes, it does work. So, you know, and that I'm really conflicted about it because I want to have a viable business um, and it works. So I, I, as of right now I'm doing it. Um, but at the same time, I feel like I'm contributing to this culture of, you know, super lean individuals making other people on the internet feel bad about themselves. Yeah. Essentially. Um, I struggle with this and I justify it to myself because I say to myself, well, I'm providing that first extrinsic motivation and maybe then, you know, I can work with them to instill uh, an exercise habit that will make them healthier for their entire life. You know, and that's what I hope um, is true. I don't know if that's what I will decide ultimately. Um, but I think that it's I, extrinsic motivation can be really useful in a lot of cases because at least maybe not in that specific instance, I'm still deciding on that, but um, just in general, because you can't really have an intrinsic motivation to do something until you've done it. You know, you, you don't know to, what like, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You can't love something you've never done consistently. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not so uh, early on in my career. So back in starting in 2013, yeah, I got into competing and that's what kind of got me into the fitness industry to begin with um, and got me on this sort of 
track or sect within the the fitness space. Um, and as I said, like at that time, I didn't lean in much to the sense of or the the intelligent side of myself. I I was I'm someone that genetically looks good. Um, and it's fairly easy for me to maintain that and build that. And so I'm someone that stays fairly lean pretty easily. I grow muscle at an accelerated rate. I, I don't have to work very hard for that. And so for me early on, like I had a lot of success within physique competing, um, when my pro card at an early age. And it was one of those things that I got really lost in that. And then I, after that, I realized like how much I didn't want that part of me to, to fuel extrinsic motivation. And so I made a post back in 2017, basically stating why from this point forward, you're not going to see a, a, a photo with my shirt off. Yeah. Because, or out like using my physique as that, because I was like, I want to be known. I don't want to be known for my physique as much as I want to be known for my contributions within being a coach or being someone that um, is using more of my intellectual side of things to fuel my success. Because I, I got, I got really wrapped up in, and you know that like you can get really wrapped up in. Okay, I know like based off your theory of I have to. And we all have this theory too. It's not just yours, but to, to know that we have to have a certain aesthetic on our page or put ourselves kind of put a certain foot forward to kind of have a shoe in for people of, Hey, I have a goal physique that you would want to strive for. And I don't think it's inherently wrong. And I, I think this is a thing that's constantly in flux, but I agree with you in the sense of it's kind of in, in the same sense of it's okay to sell if your motive is pure in the sense of, I think it's okay for you to use yourself in that situation as an extrinsic motivation using your physique. If that gets someone in the door and now you can build healthy foundations for them. And yeah, totally. So I, I agree with you. I, I, I had a, a sense of sort of identity crisis in that moment yeah. because it was like, I have, an easy shoe in to where I get great social engagement based off of these photos or this type right. of content. Yeah. I'm getting inquiries. I'm building a business. Things are going well, but I didn't want that anymore. Right. And so there's a sense of like, now what? And is this okay? So. Yeah. I mean, as I've been doing, I mean, I'm really new to this, like the online coaching thing. I, and I just started my Instagram in like September, August. So like, this is a brand new world to me. And like the vocabulary has totally freaked me out. Like we're so obsessed with, you know, sales and retention. And I, I mean, I was taught, you know, I had this amazing mentor when I was first starting training people in person. And he said to me, your goal is not to retain your clients. Your goal is to get them to a point where they don't need you anymore. Right. And I just try to keep that in mind. Like every single time I am making a sales post or whatever it is, like my goal will remain getting my clients to a point where they can maintain exercise habits on their own moving forward in this short a time as possible. Right. And I, I think, I mean, we, we agree on that for sure. And that's something within our business that 
we almost it, it, in and of itself is a, a sales point because I think if someone has had a coach before, they had a series of coaches and they've gotten kind of lost in the vicious cycle that is Instagram and the coaching world within that, that space, you can get really lost in doing either the short-term coaching thing or a challenge or, you know, something that is a quick fix and you may see a result, but at the end of the day, you're just going to have to either sign back up or you're going to have to find another coach. And so yeah, that is a sales point itself is I think a great one because you're talking to people and, and you're selling yourself in a way that, look, I'm going to do everything in my power, whether that takes three months, six months, 12 months to get you to a point where you're educated to the now to the point where you don't need to reach out. Exactly. You don't need to do anything else. Like you have the foundational principles there. And it's more than just like, you know, passing on. I really love to pass on like the physiology, sciencey stuff to my clients so that they can do their own programming. But I think the most important thing is actually from exercise psychology literature. Um, there's something, you know, self-efficacy scaffolding where you kind of provide the initial tools for self-efficacy for self-efficacy for, you know, listeners who might not know is just the belief that you can accomplish something or, or do something. Um, and so, you know, when I have a new client who I suspect might lack some self-efficacy, you know, I, I provide them with consistency, you know, they have to be accountable to me. Um, I provide them with, you know, they can't maybe believe in themselves. So I'm shouting that I believe in them every step of the way. And I also, help them to learn goal setting strategies so that they can check things off their list, you know, and, you know, have a record of success. And I think that instilling self-efficacy, you know, through your own presence so that they can take that on in the future is like one of the most important things a coach can do um, for their clients globally as well. Yeah. So getting into, let's transition, you know, let's really hone in on the coaching part of this. And so you got started with in-person training, which I think is a great place to start because one within in-person training, there still is a, there's always kind of been this sense of at least apprenticeship, which I think is important. And I wanted to get your take on this. And I, I've been racking my brain on kind of the regulatory or lack thereof regulatory body around personal training and coaching one be it that we have such an impact on people's everyday health i know more than almost any other industry even more so than their physician themselves yes which is disturbing but yes it's very disturbing so why is it that as as high of an impact it seems like a weird ratio so as high of an impact as we have in a person's everyday life as their trainer why is it that we're one of the only ones within the health profession space that don't have a sense of required apprenticeship or certifications? I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I rant about this. My boyfriend is, is also a trainer. Uh, and like, this is just unbelievable to us. Like you are messing with people's bodies and honestly, it's worse than just not requiring something because they, we actually have requirements that I think are like harmful. You know, you, in order to maintain your CPT license, we have to do these, um, CEUs right. where, like with like freaking trigger point and, 
these totally non-evidence-based like weird techniques that you know you can kind of sell packages from you know functional fitness viper whatever um and it's it's really crazy i don't i don't know what to do about it i don't know how other than you know qualified individuals people who do have um a history of apprenticeship and and a long resume and you know a master's degree or whatever degree like other than saturating the industry with people who just are qualified i don't know what i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know what do you think but I, I so for me i i've just been trying to you know i talked to my wife about this um and it's it's something that just it's bothersome but also it's just it's it's something that i just found i find just inherently odd that there's yet to be some sort of regulatory body to be sure that the status quo is met. Um, and I, I also, I don't want to also, I, I don't want to point or point fingers and say that the people who aren't necessarily qualified are doing yeah, yeah. wrong Bad. by others, because I have also this kind of this ecosystem theory as well, that within everything, there's this, you know, precious ecosystem within life itself. There's a precious or universe itself. There's a precious ecosystem, but that we're finding that we're altering from human behavior uh, on a global universal scale, but more focused within the fitness industry, within personal training, within coaching, there's this precious ecosystem that exists where we need coaches that talk about the really, really, really foundational things because that becomes a sort of like fulfilling the prerequisite of a client towards working with someone who is more qualified, who is more of a practitioner and qualified. Right. I mean, I would just say like, I totally agree. I think the problem is like, you don't, what you said earlier, you don't know what you don't know. So I think what happens is that especially, you know, trainers who are newer to the industry. And like I said, I I don't think this is a bad, like, I don't, I don't think this means we should bar people from entry. Um, But I do think it's a problem we have yet to solve where, you know, people are talking about, for this is a good example, spreading the sort of myth that, you know, bad form will lead to injury which in turn leads to injury <laughs> right? because, um, you know, that's really the correlation is believing you will be injured, um, and in pain. Um, so like, and so there are things that people will preach because they don't know yet that actually has harmful effects. So that's the balance, right? Like that's what we're trying to figure out in the industry, um, how we get people started and, um, I don't think there should be barriers. I don't think you should need a PhD to be a trainer. No, I think that is detrimental because I think that. Exactly. Enough. So I think you can be, I think more education to a degree, depending on the education, becomes harmful in a sense. Um, or a lack of variety, I'll say, in education, I think becomes harmful because. Right. Especially when you're dealing with general population because they don't, need to know 99%. They don't, oh my God, one, they yeah. don't care. Two, they don't need to know. Yes. I always reference the people on Instagram who have yet to start working out, but who follow Brad Schoenfeld. So like they're constantly coming back like, like, oh, I have to lift, you know, 
with X amount of tension doing X amount of times per week or else I won't gain muscle. I'm like, no, no, no. He's not speaking to you. Yeah. <laughs> like you can do what you enjoy and still gain muscle. Um, but anyway, sorry, continue. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I think exactly. And you have to understand who you're looking up to or who you're reading from. And I, I think it's right. important to understand kind of what level you're at as the consumer. And then you have to understand as the, we'll say educator or trainer or whatever, you have to understand what level you're teaching to or you're preaching to or, or you're writing content for. And Definitely. so your audience is so important. Your audience is so important. And so one thing for me, and I, I want to ask you one thing for me that I kind of started out doing my whole prerogative essentially was how can I make this complex world of, of fitness a little easier for people from my wide scope of experience, whether it's life within or life beyond fitness. So, so taking, you know, me putting myself into situations or furthering my education, whether that, you know, going to get a master's and PhD and stuff like that, that is something that one is a selfish act on my part, but understanding that I need to also keep, keep in mind who my audience is, who did I attract to begin with? Who makes up the 160,000 people that follow me? Who makes up this world? And who will gain the most from your... And who's yeah. going to gain? So I want to ask you that question of kind of what is that, for the lack of a better word, who is yeah. that why or p purpose of why you're putting out this stuff and who's your kind of who am I speaking key to? target demographic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have two groups who I, I feel really passionate about helping. I have first the individuals who haven't yet been able to maintain an exercise habit. Um, and that's where my research is too. So like, I mean, I'm just a huge advocate for getting people hooked and the ways you get people hooked. And I don't really care what, what, does what it? I, yeah, what does it like? I don't care if you're a cardio person. I don't care whatever it is. Um, so that's one demographic I think I'm very passionate about. And then the other one is women who are already into exercise and enjoy it, um, but who have been targeted by various, you know, industry gurus as people who, you know, they want to get toned. That's often like, that's the number one goal I always get. They want to get toned. And people are spreading like false information to them constantly. You know, there's this, there's this place called strength and length and tone in the city, which is like Pilates, cardio, something. Yeah. And it's just like, so not what they need to be doing or spending their money on, but the very name strength and length and tone. That's why I always use them as an example is like targeting them. And so um, I love, I, I really, really care and get excited about finding these women and like, taking their love of exercise and their, you know, ambition and pointing them in the right direction. So those are kind of the two, the two demographics that I'm interested in helping most. Awesome. And so I think there's to counter that, I think that to bring up that place that you mentioned, mm -hmm. there's also a sense that you have to be really careful on your end because, and I think this is speaking to all coaches or people that put out content to either inspire, educate, or help someone else. 
is you can't belittle yes. that thing that they're doing to begin with totally. because that's, that's not like going to encourage of therapy. Yes, totally. I just never believe in belittle. Like, you know, I'll shoot the shit on a podcast about, you know, whatever irks me, but it's just, it's so not right to assume that, you know, something about someone's relationship with something and critique it on the internet. I, I think it's like, can be really harmful to people and, and just, you know, create division amongst people. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of, it creates this dichotomy of, of, of thinking and within, within that, I, I think it's important that those listening, and I, I had this post, um, education over belittlement. It's kind of a, one of my personal things that I'm wanting to put out into the world, put out into our world of coaching and training and education that people have built their entire careers off belittling others. And I think that is inherently wrong. And I, so I speak on this precious ecosystem of people and people that may not be fully qualified yet or whatever, but they're not out to harm others. Like I totally. truly believe and that people are out for most people. Yeah. Yeah. They aren't out to harm other people, right? They just don't, they don't know what they don't know. And it's unfortunate because they are sometimes steering others in a wrong direction. But I want one thing I do find inherently wrong is belittlement. And I, I don't think that's the answer. And I don't think that's a way to educate others. And it creates a cult following and it creates a divide. It creates, and we're seeing that politically, we're seeing that religiously, we're seeing that in a lot of different places. And the the fact that fitness itself has become this religion where there are teams, I think is detrimental to everyone's bigger goal. And I think I, you know, one answer, just thinking about that phenomenon is like, I think that by not belittling and by instead, you know, offering, you know, just telling the stories of the lessons you've learned or whatever, and, you know, creating friendship and relationships with people who might be newer in the industry. Like I, I have a friend right now who's, you know, just going in, she's been coaching people online and she's going through some certs and she's so excited to learn, but she doesn't know yet, you know, yeah. like, but she's trying, she like really is. And, and I just think it's like, that's such a good example of like, she asks questions and that should be all that's kind of required for you to be open to them. And I think the more we can have relationships and like you were saying earlier, mentorship opportunities, I think that's really key to fixing the process. Yeah. I think to have, cause so the sense of belittlement too, creates this mindset of being scared of even asking questions to begin with, which I think is detrimental to people's development, especially as trainers or coaches, or even people that are just wanting to learn more as trainees or people that love fitness. Um, I think it could be incredibly detrimental. And so those listening, belittlement's not the answer. Um, if you're following people, or if you look up to people, that use this tactic to fuel their business and make money that they make, just understand or try to be able to separate the information that they're, that is valid or evidence-based, but understand that the way that they're going about putting that material out into the world isn't something you should model or use as a framework for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. 
and treat people on the internet the way you'd want to be treated. That you'd treat them in person. Like I think there's like the, the golden rule of the internet. There it is. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Just don't be meaner than you are in person. <laughs> yeah, and I, man, that's a good one. Because I, I've met people, so obviously I've met people. So I'm going to expand on that. <laughs> um, so I've met people that I've known on the internet that interact with others very, um, very uh, kind of brash or kind of in a way where you're just like, really, this is how you're responding. And then you meet them in real life and you're like, you're really nice. Why do you react to people online? Like, why do you conduct yourself this way online? Or totally. And I, I honestly think it's because some of it may be because who they look up to or who they're emulating or who they're, they're hoping reads through that and finds, you know, comedic relief. Um, because I think there's a sense of, you know, obviously I think within wit and finding comedic relief within things, I think there's a sense of boundary that you're tiptoeing, um, of, did he just say that? Or did she just say that or whatever? And I think there's a fine line, obviously, and everyone has it. The threshold or the boundary is a moving target for each individual. Right. But I don't think that, I think that works within comedy, but I don't think we should necessarily try and use that as, as our, a way of- as our fuel. Yeah. As our propane in the torch to, to fuel change. But I totally agree. That's my soapbox. I'm off. Um, so that said, I had a question down um, about a couple of things, but current goals for your business and kind of the steps that you're taking for it. Because I mean, you're new, you're new on Instagram. Yeah, brand new. One, how was life without it? And yeah. how is life with it? <laughs> I want to ask. Um, I'm like, I've never really been addicted to social media before. And now I totally am. Like yeah. I had to, it's like, I, I mean, it's, it's like chemical. It's crazy. Um, so that's been really hard because I have other responsibilities. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that's been the biggest thing to adjust to. But also, like you're saying, like, I'm, I've really been shocked by how mean people are on social media, not just to me, but like in general. Um, and so that's been striking to me. But I've also been and that's what has been scary to me. But there's a flip side to that where you really can find community. Like I've never known anyone else with Bichette's disease. And people are so freaking supportive yeah. and nice. Um, so that's really been a positive. Um, so I would say as someone who went from zero to 100, those are my big notes so far. Gotcha. So looking back at kind of using, making sure you're tracking the right metrics. Obviously, there's a whole dark side of the internet, the whole dark side of Instagram, social media that you could definitely be focusing on. But I like that you you're choosing. And again, that's, I think that's a big part of extrinsic motivation too, to go back is that you're choosing the right perspective and you're choosing the right things to pay attention to because your perspective on the situation is everything. Right. And the way you're perceiving even feedback, because even like the perception of a text that comes through, there's so much through words without how we understand language like, I think we're evolving to understand language a little bit better as our generation. Totally. Yeah. But we're not, I don't think we're anywhere close to where we need to be to, to completely understand because we don't have the nonverbal cues that we, you and I talking right now, like there's a lot that I can 
there's a lot that we both can see within our interactions. Yeah. But if these conversations were being had over even an email or a text conversation or DMs through Instagram, there's yes. so much oh. that is lost in translation. Totally. Yeah. I mean, one just like weird thing that I was not expecting is like men on Instagram are just like pigs. I just haven't experienced well, there's anything no like it. Yeah, there's no consequence. <laughs> and like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's been weird too. Um, yeah. So dealing with that and like trying to do it with grace. And like you're saying, like, I don't know their stories. Yeah. So I really do my best. I, I don't respond. Like, you know, I just, I don't think there's any need to insult them back for the most part. Yeah. And not that I don't have my, my moments of weakness, but um, I think that you always try to, like, I've been learning to maintain the high ground, I think. And like, always just be nice because probably they have a history that led them to sending this message, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I think that's a, a really good point. And let, let's just end on that one because I, I think, I think to, to the root of you to understand keeping perspective on just remain kind, remain right. with, totally. keep a perspective on understanding that other people have history, other people have trauma, other people have these things that are fueling ill will behavior or inappropriate behavior or unsolicited behavior via text and social media, men who are listening to this, I will speak for women. You can <laughs> correct me on this, but unsolicited things are not, are not a positive. Helpful. They're not helpful. <laughs> um, they're not a positive thing and they're un unwarranted. Um, I'll say that. So remain kind, keep perspective. Um, yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I really do. And this was a really, really good conversation. I really am grateful to you for having me. So I hope to speak to you soon. Absolutely. So I'll let you plug your things. Um, big thing again is again, like business starting up, getting online, um, getting clients online. Online business is hard. It's a tough terrain to navigate. Uh, it's still fairly, it's still very much in its infancy. I, I think that's important to, to realize and understand. And it's interesting. Um, so I'm reading a book right now uh, that, so Dr. Lindsay Fitzpatrick, I'm not sure yeah. if you, so she's, uh, I want to say, was she at Oxford, I believe? I forget, but Miguel she, would know. <laughs> yeah, Miguel would definitely know. But so she's does, she's mainly like medical history. And so right. I started reading her book, um, I forgot what, the art of the butcher or butcher art or something like that. So basically it's all about <laughs> the the medical history of surgery and oh fascinating oh my god and so you know talking about surgery before anesthesia or any type of numbing agents or anything like that um and how surgery used to be conducted in these rooms with you know a large audience and of medical students vip access where you know people would come in off the street and so you're hearing and then in like Victorian, you know, London at the time, you're, you're, you're seeing, you're hearing children crying, children laughing on the street mixed with agony and screaming in these surgical theaters, which is just beyond comprehension at this point of life. Totally nuts. It's totally insane. And to think that 
almost everyone who got surgery at that time died, whether it was from surgery or from contracting like something like gangrene or, or some sort of infection after, after the fact. So surgery basically meant death at that time. Um, but anyways, that, that book is, is something that's, I think is a reminder to where we're at currently within the online coaching space. Like we're still, I believe in the Victorian era, early to mid 19th century medical advancement of discovering, you know, Esther as a, as a, a sense of using it to, to keep a patient unconscious, for example. So we're still very much in that phase. And so it's, it's hard to navigate. There's a lot of regulatory bodies that I think are regulations that are to come. I think there's a lot of education to come on the subject matter. So we're early on. It's a tough terrain to navigate. Stay positive within it. Um, <laughs> I'll do my best. Yeah. For those listening, reach out, um, give Miranda a follow. Uh, do you have a website? Um, it is coming. I have the domain. It's shapedbyscience.com. Um, so that's my, my company name. Um, but my Instagram is Miranda L card, C A R D like birthday card. Miranda L card is my, my name. So that's what I use for my Instagram. Awesome guys. Go check her out. All right. Thank you so much again. Thank you. Hey guys, Austin here. Thank you again for listening into the episode. It means a lot. If you can, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave the podcast a five-star review. This does help us grow and be found by others. Also, just wanted to mention, if you guys are interested in free education based around training and nutrition, be sure to check out physiquedevelopment.com backslash free education, where you'll find free downloads, videos, articles, etc. No strings attached. Again, thank you. Chat soon.